Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. It's time for us to talk about visual art, in particular an exhibition that's on in the Linden Project space at Linden New Art in St Kilda over on Boonwurrung Country. I'm joined in the studio by artist Jeremy Blinko, whose exhibition The Fragile Skin of the World is currently showing at Linden until the 13th of November. Jeremy, welcome to Triple R. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So I was immediately intrigued when I saw some of the images for this this exhibition. There's a, a kind of fleshiness to some of the work and a, a, a sense of, I don't know, of, of blurring of boundaries, not only between forms and objects, but uh, between... Um, the, the very materials that you use and indeed the world around us. Mm. So talk to us a little bit about what you wanted to explore in The Fragile Skin of the World and the works presented in it. Yeah, I, I think that the blurring of boundaries is, is kind of one of the sort of fundamentals behind when I was thinking about making these works. Um, I, I mean, I was, I was interested in sort of as creating a world which, which in some way reflects um, the world how I sort of perceive it, I'm, I'm very keen on, on looking at the things which exist, like the in-betweens or, or the folds of whether that be, um, say, like a, a concrete that's ruptured by a tree root or these or um, sort of material assemblages that you might find in construction sites. It's these, those things to me have the sort of potential to, to grow or, or become something else. And, and, and in my sculptures, um, so obviously they're, they're process-based, so they do grow and change, and I'm open to accidents or things going wrong and failures, and and so they sort of, and the, and the good ones sort of take on a, a, a life of their own, if if they work. I mean, it can be a battle to get there. Often, when you start a sculptural work, do you always know what the end product will be, or is the 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 process of creating a journey of discovery rather than a journey of creation. I think it's a it's a mixture for me. I mean, a lot. I guess it, it can go through the transformation through the stages of of a lot. Most of the ideas begin either for things I see, but then get translated into drawing, and then sort of move to small maquettes, which which I make at home with with clay. So. Say for the the larger sculpture in the exhibition, the um, River of Absolute Intimacy, it's that began as a as a tiny kind of five centimetre sculpture, but which I use as a starting point, but then but then quickly sort of put that away, and because I don't want to sort of have a have a grid and and do a replica at all. I think things will often lose their magic in that way. So that work, River of Absolute Intimacy, uh, is it's fleshy, kind of. I think that's the the best way to describe it. But so it it looks like it could be almost as if you've been sculpting with I don't know uh, internal organs or muscles, but not just the muscles, but the the those kind of thin layers of 
whatever it's called, I don't know the name, the technical name that separates layers of muscles, mm. for example, as well. The, the sheath, I think it is. Yeah. Um, so it's got that quality to it, but the 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 curves and the shapes remind me of Neolithic art, of kind of portraits of uh, or sculptures of uh, of Neolithic women, for example, which have a, an almost kind of fertility kind of focus to them. It's a really interesting and potent piece of work. Thank you. Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, the, the market perhaps at the time, my, my wife was pregnant with our son, so maybe that would perhaps have informed that, that shape. But... I mean, I also make those the little sculptures very quickly, but I'm I'm keen on the sort of movement and um, and then the the sort of visceral colours, they they happen by accident I think because I had to have to coat the the foam which I sculptured with with resin before we, then fiberglass. Initially, I was planning to spray auto paint on that, but then yeah, I, had, I started playing with pigments and. And really liked the sort of unexpected, the sort of the melting and merging that that epoxy resin does without you controlling it. Um, yeah, and then and thought it was much more sort of powerful and, and resonant with with that that sort of fleshy sort of tones. Yeah, and yeah. that fleshy tone, as you said, was was not necessarily accidental, but. Um nor was it a deliberate kind of process. It, it grew organically in the same way that the work looks organic. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it would. I mean, I do love uh, anatomy books as well. Like, and I guess, I guess this this notion of that the skin, that which is sort of the intermediary, how we like interact with the world, and it, we affect and it affects. And but beneath that, there's a like vastly complex like being of like this multiplicity of like so many things which we can't even sort of comprehend and to to strip away that that how we see each other um yeah it was something that I've been sort of thinking about and perhaps wanting to do for a while so that kind of infiltrated through and, and hopefully yeah comes through in that sculpture it reinforces that one of the things you're exploring in this exhibition is that humans aren't separate from the world we we tend to think of ourselves as uh, as individuals we tend to think of ourselves as a thing despite the fact that there are bacteria living in our guts for example we are host to a kind of a whole range of organisms skin mites whatever you kind of whether you want to think about them being there or not they're there uh, and our skin as you say separates us from the world but we're still not separate we are impacted by the world and we impact it so again part of your practice is trying to break down those sense of division sense of separation uh, reminding people that they are part of the world rather than separate from it. Oh, def- definitely. I mean, it's those, I guess, it, which is quite hard to do. I guess there's, like, there's a history in language and, and a lot of things. They've said nature, culture, this this divide that that we see ourselves as separate and and we sort of live a life that's sort of in defence against nature. We try and keep it at bay. We try and, like, whatever we, we can do rather than... than that we are like a part of it and that sort of buildings, the studio microphones, that every internet is as much part of nature as Wilson's promontory or like or the most pristine places. I mean that's yeah. In terms of trying to explore that and represent that in your art, talk to us about how you 
how do you explore that idea without getting too literal? I guess, I mean, there's, there's, I guess I have different sort of strategies, but I, I mean, mostly I, I, I work in a sort of intuitive approach that I take all these things as almost sort of compost and then and the the process make the art that may reflect those different concerns but they're still they are still bubbling like underneath say there's these I have um the wooden this is wooden tablets which 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 show I guess that sort of the difference sort of order and disorder there's there's strong sort of sharp geometric lines but then there's these larval bubbling growths which is sort of coming through because I want things to be that could be in a state of change that could like morph and into or grow into something unexpected. Which is uh, interesting that you particularly choose to do that working with wood, for example. So you are already literally changing and morphing the wood to capture some of the, the themes and ideas you're exploring, the piece Unruliness at the Heart, for example, which is a, a perfect encapsulation of what you've just been talking about. It's uh, square and contained and then a circle within the square, but then within the circle is something, again, almost writhing and organic, despite the mm. fact that it's still and static. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it still has a sense of the life of the wood, the growth of the, of the tree that created mm. uh, the, the, the object you've presented in, as part of the exhibition. Yeah, I'm, I mean, uh, yeah, that, that's very true. I mean, I guess we, if we think of even weatherboard houses, we don't often think of the trees, that that life of the tree sort of continues on and that that wood was still sort of moving, cracking, altering and it it is as much a part of the tree as the what the image that we have of a sort of bark and leaves and and I guess it comes down to that thing that it, it's very hard to define define a thing say a tree in a park but it's so much more than that if you if you take it's 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 part of people's homes and then it's 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 shelter it's a home for possums it's like it's a then the more you think about spend time with any one thing like it, it, it expands outwards, and I guess that comes back to that that interconnection that we were perhaps talking about that that we are much more than this sort of skin and flesh and and a and a and, a, and an individual. You've just made me think, Jeremy, that in some ways perhaps your work is uh, an encapsulation of the struggle to stop things expanding too much, to stop our thinking expanding too much, to take in the whole world and to pull it back to ourselves, but not too far back, that you are literally kind of encapsulating that struggle kind of in your art. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure I explained like that. Well, well, the fact that you were talking about if you think about the wood in a house and mm. the way it warps and grows and the tree, the animals and so forth, kind of... If you think too much, you, you can't actually pin anything down. Mm. Conversely, if you t pin things down too much, you lose that sense of connection. So it feels like, certainly while you're talking and looking at some of the images of your work in the exhibition, the fragile skin of the world, that, that there, in some ways your work encapsulates that kind of struggle to, to not be too contained but not to be uh, kind of... Uh, I don't know, too amorphous, too porous, that you've, you've, as if you found a sweet spot between those two extremes. I mean, I, I hope so. I guess it, it was, yeah, that kind of, that the aim is to, and hopefully if, yeah, to give people pause to see, because the in-between states, those, I mean, you, 
in some ways you, when those when things are sort of uncanny that you can't quite put your finger on it that it could be from I mean I, sometimes I think about duration as well that I try and make things that could be from the past or the future um, also as well as sort of different materials and organic and organic. Yeah, the uh, the work um, that's also on uh, showing at Linden New Art in the Linden Project space, an opening to all possible outsides. Again, we've got that uh, almost skin-like silicon, as if like a shed, as if something very large, uh, perhaps a, a human has shed their skin. But you've, you've also placed it in a way on a, a stainless steel frame so that it dangles like a towel hung over a door or something. So reminding us of the everyday and the ordinary, even while it's a very extraordinary object. But there's also a mirror incorporated into that work. So the viewer will see this silicon skin-like shape, but then also see their own skin simultaneously. Yeah, and, and I guess the mirror also stops at sort of around or shoulder or a bit below shoulder. So it, so it's cutting off, yeah, it's it's sort of, it's cutting off, off your head and... And I guess it, it again comes down to those sort of blurring of the sort of dualisms of sort of mind body and 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 acknowledging I guess in in that bodily like sculpture that that part is that one sort of strange part is is a part of us as well as much as it is the sort of beautiful sort of refined. Um, like materials and objects that we make and and sort of cling to as well, like so it's, it's a polished stainless steel stand. Yeah, I guess it's it's the um, yeah the geometric sort of living with that organic. The same way we perhaps we build houses, we, we use blocks and we live in in amongst sort of lines and tight geometries, which which is one part, but it's also then you look at sort of more the organic world which has no straight lines at all and it's I'm interested in that that where those where those two things meet and then in between the folds of of where they coexist. Jeremy, a final question for you. What is it about working sculpturally in three D that so intrigues you as an artist that you've made it the focus of your practice, at least at this stage in your career? I think I'm just so curious about sort of why such a wider range of materials and and the potential of combining sort of disparate things and then coming together, um, which which excites me. But I, I mean, I had a background in photography for over a decade, and then then started making sculptures for for the photos, um, and and loved that process. And perhaps it was, it was more of 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 the unknown in that process, whether what direction things will take that that sort of enthralled me and, and, and wanted me to, to make more. Jeremy Blinko's exhibition, The Fragile Skin of the World, as I said, showing at Linden You Are in the Linden Project space until the 13th of November. Linden is located at 26 Ackland Street, St Kilda. For more info, jump online, www.lindenarts.org. And if you want to know a little bit more about Jeremy and his practice, www.jeremyblinko.com. Jeremy, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Triple R.
I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Jamie Lewis, who's the CEO of Next Wave. Now, Next Wave is one of the reasons I work in the arts. I was um, recruited to work at Next Wave Festival back in 1998-99, cut my teeth on arts management, then went on to work at Express Media don't work in arts management anymore. Instead, I write and comment about the arts, which you may have noticed is something that I do on this particular program. But I have a, a, a kind of a, a soft spot for Next Wave. So, Jamie, I'm delighted to have you in the studio and uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Next Wave are launching a new project and it's more than a one-off. It's not just a, a kind of here is a show that we are presenting or producing uh, over a weekend or two. It's a year-round artist learning platform called All School. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. Um, look, I think before I start as well, I just really want to acknowledge your story just then and how common that story in amongst um, the art sector in, in Melbourne and in Australia, really. I, I myself have had a previous life in Next Wave as an artist and just, and I think it is that legacy that has led us to all school. Um, Next Wave has always been this space for professional development and practice development for early career young artists um, through the Festival Commission kind of a model. And I think all school for us at this time is really about going, well, how can we extend this opportunity of practice development and artist development? How do we open the doors to more people? Um, and, and this is what All School is about. It's an artist-led platform in which we come together to exchange ideas, share practice, you know, the critical reflection of our failures and celebrate the wins of our research and, and experimental art making um, and, and coming together as an artistic community. And one of the big shifts in opening this door now means we get to bring an intergenerational cohort of artists. So we've got early career artists through our Kickstart commissions there. We've got our artistic directorate who are our you know, current artistic leaders in the organisation, as well as alumni and just peers in the sector to come and, and learn from each other and teach each other. Um, and yeah, that's what All School is about. It will be a year-round program, uh, but we are kicking off with a two-day lab starting tomorrow. Um, and yeah, it's pretty, pretty exciting. It is exciting because that notion of facilitating and fostering learning and uh, the sharing of knowledge. That happens organically when artists get together and talk, perhaps at the Fringe Festival Club, for example, or at a bar after a show. But to be able to um, facilitate that in a more focused way and, as you said, a, a cross-generational and also cross-disciplinary way as well strikes me as something that is has been missing, perhaps, from the, the creative landscape. Yes, uh, in the past, there are there are different festivals, Next Wave being a leading example, have run artist development programs, but they're limited to a small pool of artists and they're limited in time as well. So this is responding clearly to a, a kind of gap in the cultural ecology. That's right. And I think a big thing for us is also acknowledging our that history and legacy means that we also have a presence nationally. So for us to challenge ourselves, even as a Melbourne-based organisation, to extend that work nationally and and um, yeah, provide these opportunities in a in a more decentralised way for our you know interstate and regional 
um, artistic community as well to access. Um, so that's a big part for us. Um, but I think definitely also the coming together in this kind of context is also about a lower risk space. Uh, we're talking about works in progress, uh, ideas at the start or in the middle or, you know, brewing for a long time. But uh, we're talking about... Um, we're not talking about finished work in a way that there's pressure, but of course there's space for that. Exactly, you know, um, the, the 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 sector is made of many different platforms, and and for us, we've just kind of picked up on this gap where actually let's come and fail together. That idea of failing together fascinates me because, and oh, and just the the sheer kind of the the ambition of this project as well. I'm, I'm thinking of companies like. Um, Vital Statistics in Adelaide, whose Adhocracy program features um, uh, presentations of work in progress and kind of a week's conversations between artists in the lead-up to that. Uh, but there hasn't been something similar to that model that I'm aware of here with this kind of scope and ambition. As you said, Jamie, it's going to begin with kind of uh, two days, this Friday the 28th and Saturday the 29th at Trades Hall in Carlton, and then grow beyond that. But let's talk about the program for those first two days. What kind of, um, I don't know, uh, workshops and conversations and provocations and, and showings will be happening? Yeah, so... Um couple of our kickstart artists have been making a new work in the past year and continue to be making over the next year. Uh, we'll be sharing some of their works in progress ideas and showings, um, as well as some of our artists from the title program. So Jack Mitchell, Iliki Reed, um, Aaron Claringborough and Rebecca McCauley, they'll be sharing. Um, they've been commissioned to make a major work of scale over two to three years and um, they'll be talking about some of their process as well. Um, but we'll be hearing also from our artistic directorate, both um, Tien and um, Christy Monfries, who both have um, strong collaborative relationships with uh, peers in Indonesia. And so they'll be Zooming in uh, online with a, uh, a bit of a dialogue about their creative friendship and how that propels their practice. Um, yeah, it's, it's really rich. But I think also then we've also got food, a lot of food. Um, eating together is a really big thing. Our day starts with um, conversations led by the artistic directorate and, and a performance uh, lecture by Stephen Rao. But we're doing that while we eat. And at the end of Friday as well, we're wrapping the day with um, a radical hospitality event, which is really just to come and eat together. And this particular radical hospitality event is led by um, We Eating Good, um, a collective that, that kind of centres um, people of colour um, and food cultures that, that they, you know, they bring with them. Um, and so Matisse, who leads uh, one of the co-founders of We Eating Good, will be driving that one. And so we're, you know, going to be eating some yummy food over really rich conversations and um, percolating some strong ideas. Yeah. I guess it's a, a, I'm not sure if this is a devil's advocate question or not, but why do artists need this kind of opportunity to discuss and share ideas as opposed to uh, it, it kind of goes against the grain of the idea of the, the I don't know, the solo artistic genius who works in isolation and creates kind of brilliant work. Um, now, we know that's a myth, that, that kind of everybody's influenced by somebody <laughs> and people collaborate and so forth. But would it be fair to say that one of the reasons Next Wave is presenting a project like this is because uh, a lot of professional development opportunities are priced out of reach 
for particularly younger and emerging uh, and independent artists? Yeah, a bit of everything, really. I mean, I think the the story that you started with today, you know, um, tells us as well that you can start somewhere in your artistic practice and your artistic um, career, inverted commas, I've got my fingers up. You know, you can start somewhere and then end up somewhere else altogether but still work within the sector and still be part of the community. And I think, you know, an open generative space is about us working out what we want to make, you know. I think I personally remember coming out of uni and and recognising the work I didn't want to make. Um, and it took me a number of years to recognise the work I did want to make and then to articulate that as a practice and find my voice within that. But I think, um, you know, pricing out is one big thing. We're also, if we're working towards uh, making sure we're, we're looking at, um, you know, enabling the participation of First Nations artists, artists from different communities of diverse lived and cultural experiences, then many of them also come through very divergent pathways of the art sector. And actually many of them also come with really rich cultural practice that informs the way they make art, which the conventional canons that we come through um, tertiary institutions may not acknowledge as, as strongly or as richly. And so for us, this space is also about that. It's about saying, hey, we can all come and play together. Um, you know, we have Deacon on board as partners as well, and there's a couple of artist researchers who are joining us uh, in conversation. And, and I think that's about making sure there is that intersection of, um, you know, methodologies of research um, and, and the different types of them coming together and intersecting it also speaks to what you said earlier, Jamie, about uh, opening the door to more people. That's something that Next Wave is doing, not just at this event, but as an organisation as well. There's been a, a shift. It used to be Next Wave Festival, and it was a curated uh, series of events over a couple of weeks. Next Wave has evolved. Next Wave has changed. And this um, kind of all-school lab that's happening tomorrow and Saturday is a really nice indication of that, the ambition to... Uh, do work year round. That's right. Um, I think, like I said earlier, you know, the, the challenge for us to actually work nationally more meaningfully. Uh, we used to, as a festival, had artists coming from interstate, but actually, you know, how do we make that experience richer? How do we acknowledge that artists live and work where they live and work and they build communities and audiences um, where they are? Um, I think we also want to debunk the idea that you have to come to Melbourne or Sydney to have an artistic career um, and, and acknowledge, um, acknowledge power and, 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 and cultural authority and knowledge, you know, um, within people's own kind of sets of communities um, and cultural heritage and... and um, yeah, place and, and community. I think that's a really big thing for us. Um, but I love that decentralizing also allows us to just bring more people to the table. So, you know, we've got eight artistic directorate who lead the organization creatively with me, alongside me, um, and they're based um, each in a state for now, quite bluntly, but um, that's how we're working. And they're part of... Um, the way we, we try and curate nationally more meaningfully because they're the ones with the artistic relationships locally. Um, and they, um, yeah, so I think even from, from that structure alone, I've got staff now based interstate, um, you know, Hanin Martin up in Darwin. And um, this is such an exciting possibility um, when you do decentralise the model um, and it just gives artists more space, more time, especially when we look at the, you know, people in, in the kind of early career space, just to work out what they're doing. 
um, with a little less pressure for time. If you want to learn more about what Next Wave are doing, then you can go to nextwave.org.au. And if you want to specifically find out the details of All School, uh, the first lab that's happening tomorrow and Saturday, both days, full days at Trades Hall in Carlton, you can go to ticks.nextwave.org.au uh, and you'll find info there about All School. Uh, Tickets are $60 if you're waged, $45 if you're unwaged, uh, and there are also no questions asked tickets for those who'd like to join but who find even the concession price uh, prohibitive. Uh, if uh, that is you, email ticketing at nextwave.org.au. But Next Wave's all-school lab tomorrow and Saturday, Trades Hall Carlton. Go to uh, nextwave.org.au for details about Next Wave and their project and uh, this first lab, the first of many, Jamie. It is indeed. Very exciting time. Um, the tickets are for a two-day pass, so come as, for as long as you want, stay as short as you need, um, but come and hang and come and eat and um, come and chat and come and play. Jamie Lewis, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Richard. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Ewan McEwan is Senior Curator of Contemporary Art, Design and Architecture at the National Gallery of Victoria and has joined us to talk about uh, a project which isn't showing until March next year, but it's just been announced and it's an ambitious and intriguing project. So, Ewan, welcome to Triple R. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Nice to be here. So, you're here to talk about uh, the NGV's Melbourne Now. Listeners with good memories or who've been involved in the the Melbourne art scene for a while uh, may remember that 10 years ago we got the first Melbourne Now and it was a remarkable snapshot of contemporary art and creativity in this city. Now, not just art, but design and fashion, for example. So um, Melbourne now, 10 years later, kind of, what, revisiting the, taking the temperature again of where things are at in Melbourne? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, it's, it reflect, it's actually when I started working at the NGV was on Melbourne now, um, and it was contemporary art design and architecture and fashion design, jewellery practice. Um, and it was... So Tony Elwood, our director, had started. Um, and we're really looking at how the NGV might um, engage more actively with the contemporary, you know, arts and, and design community, um, you know, sort of busting open the institution a bit. And so so, so the flavour of the original show was actually very collaborative to a lot of people brought in as guest curators um, and... And it happened quickly and it was a very sort of, um, you know, it was a very dynamic curatorial process, lots of, um, and, a, and a big show. And, and what happened, I suppose, was um, we had about 750,000 people came. It was a big free show um, and many of the people who listened will have seen, will have seen that show and it really set, set the scene, I suppose, for the next decade for the NGV and... And so we decided 10 years on that it was interesting to... It's, it's not a reprisal of the same thing. It's more about looking at um, how cultural practice may have changed, but also just really how, how, you know, 
how the institution has changed as well, the way we so things that would be quite different this time around um, as opposed to the last time around would be, for example, much more ambitious commissioning program, which has evolved over the last decade in terms of helping artists make and designers make new work. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it is really a snapshot. It's not a thematic show. It's very eclectic. There's lots of different things going on. There's lots of exhibitions within the exhibition um, and it's free and it will take over the whole building at the Ian Potter Centre, NGV, Australia at Federation Square. Now, one of the things that really resonated, I think, with artists and the community with the, the first Melbourne Now was, as you've referred to, it was not only demonstrating that the NGV under its new director really wanted to engage with the contemporary, but it had, a, I think, a, a flow-on effect. Certainly we saw more contemporary work uh, purchased by the, M- the NGV, seemed to be the impression, uh, some of the, the, the works that showed there. And... Uh, but one of the things I particularly loved about it was not only did it um, uh, show artists whose work I knew, but it also introduced me to a lot of new artists in the Melbourne contemporary art world that I was unfamiliar with. And it also showed me about the the vital state of design in Melbourne, for example, the, the design wall. The, uh, the iconic the, design wall. It really was an iconic piece totally. of... Um, uh, beautifully curated, beautifully displayed, and showing the range of contemporary design in Melbourne. That um, the the resonance of that uh, was was fascinating. Is there going to be a, a new design wall? In, there is. We're yeah. doing. It's actually you're, you're spot on because the fact is, before Melbourne now, um, although the NGV has got an amazing historical collection of decorative arts, mostly European, and had and had. And, and, and Asian decorative arts, really there wasn't any dynamic program around d- design, industrial design, architecture. Um, and and the scene in Melbourne back in 2012 was very active. Um, so I think this was um, Tony Elwood looking at, well, how do we engage with that sector? That's why I joined. I actually joined uh, to curate design programs. And Simone Lamon, who is still my colleague at the NGV, curator of contemporary design and architecture, curated the design wall. And it was, it was a very much looking at what do we, these sort of stories behind the scenes of things that we might take for granted, but things that are happening in the city. Now, Simone has, she's an amazing curator. She spent the last year. Um, all over the city in factories, warehouses, studios, building design wall mark two, which is from electric motorbikes to pillows, ladders, um, uh, rakes, all, all, all kinds of industrial design stuff. But, but each one is an interesting story of a design studio in Melbourne or a, a manufacturer. They're, they're designed and um, so it's developed in Melbourne. It's not all manufactured in, in, in Victoria. But what's interesting is you get a sense of all of these businesses, some of them we know really well, that we just um, maybe don't even know, are, um, are like um, Mayton, the guitar company, for example, you know, global leader um, from Victoria. And you have Brannock ladders, uh, selling safety ladders all over the world. So it, it's a sort of a story about the everyday, but again... Uh, as it, but it'll be bigger and better. <laughs> as we have to, everything has to be bigger and better at the NGV every time we go forward. So you can, yeah, Design Wall Mark Two is going to be pretty cool. I look forward to seeing that. But you've also then kind of tantalised me about what else we will see in Melbourne now in terms of 
taking the temperature, taking a snapshot of the the active and vital art and work being made in Melbourne now. It strikes me that must be quite a curatorial challenge to do justice to the depth and breadth of contemporary practice in Melbourne today. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, that's one of the great pleasures of being a curator at the NGV is the opportunity to to provide opportunities to people. One of the great challenges is is that you can't do it for everybody all of the time. So it's it's so the selection process, you know, there's a lot of um, emerging mid-career senior, you know, gender balance, representation of different parts of the community, different um, types of practice. So there's a whole load of, of work goes into that, establishing that, and then through that we then um, build the artist list. And um, we sort of set ourselves a challenge for, 20, for, for 2023 to present um, mostly people who hadn't been in the first Melbourne now rather than the sort of where are you now from from 2013 to 2023 um, and also to present people who, who are not well-known at all. Um, you know, a good example would be... Um, as we announced the other day, we've commissioned a young uh, digital media artist, Rel Pham, to, to do... So he's done some... Uh, we discovered his work through an exhibition he'd done online looking... He's interested in NFTs, gaming, but also, um, you know, digital culture, internet... He's, he's young. He's in his sort of late 20s. Um, the, to resource someone like that who's pretty unknown to do a really m- major project is, is quite an exciting opportunity, while similarly taking an artist who's very um, well-known, such as Claire Lamb or Julia Cicciarone... Um, you know, Claire's a sculptor, Julia's a painter, and, and providing them with resources to do um, a beautiful new sort of major work. So we've got some of those big works, but there's also quite a lot of quite a lot of group displays. There's work all throughout the colonial and historical collections in dialogue, um, and we'll have a performance program. We're commissioning new performances, a film program, lot, lots of layers, yeah. If you've just tuned in, we're chatting about uh, Melbourne Now, which will be happening at the Ian Potter Centre NGV Australia from March next year, from the 24th of March to the 20th of August. And my guest is Ian McEwen, who's the Senior Curator of Contemporary Art, Design and Architecture at the NGV. Ewan, how do you do justice to architecture? in uh, a survey exhibition like this. You can't necessarily bring in kind of like, I don't know, five remarkable buildings or five remarkable uh, pieces of work that have been created. Uh, the NGV simply isn't large enough to bring in, I oh. don't know, a, kind of six, a few houses, a skyscraper, uh, a, a public precinct. How do you reflect and acknowledge architectural practice in an exhibition like this? There's a few ways we're doing it in the show. Um, Timothy Moore, who's a, a curator of design and architecture on staff, is curating a show around civic architecture. So it, we have actually identified several major civic projects, and I suppose they're emblematic. So these are not like held up as being the best civic projects. They're, they're extremely good award-winning projects, but they're exemplars of the way that the city has changed over the decades. So if we're thinking about, say, Dandenong Civic Centre, renewal um, by uh, Lyons Architect after a master plan by BKK. Um, It's the um, 
How has that changed that part of the city? Because the city is not just, of course, the inner city, it's the outer suburbs. We're looking at, um, you know, the Skyrail project. We've got Broadmeadows Town Hall by Kirsten Thompson Architects. So we're showing the original architects' photography, drawings, etc., of those projects, but also... um, portraiture of people from those communities we've been out um uh, i think it was two nights ago timothy was out with tobias our photographer doing portraits of people at the citizenship ceremony at the broadmeadows um civic center um people were invited to have their portrait taken by the ngv and that'll go in the show so there's there's a large amount of of basically portraiture of members of those communities and they tell a story of the sort of the demographic change, the sort of the change that we see and and what we can be proud of in terms of how architecture creates civic generosity, a place for people in our city. But also we're looking at um, iconic residential projects and in dialogue with furniture, lighting, other things. You know, these sort of um, moments within the show where we're talking about those, you know, architecture ranges in scale so much. Um, but um, and then we have a community hall, which is sort of a central space where we'll have a whole lot of programming talks about this stuff. Now, earlier you mentioned that there will be works, contemporary works, uh, as part of Melbourne now in dialogue with other aspects of the the exhibitions in the NGV. I understand that includes uh, First Peoples works as well. Yep, yep. We've got, um, for example. In the Colonial Galleries, uh, uh, Christian Thompson's doing a project, a sound sound work, which is sort of um, intervening in, 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 into one of those historical galleries. Um, we've got um, Mia Bowie, who's doing a big wall painting, uh, which is responding to the sort of the modern Australian modernists. So there's those those are projects which are sort of um, put 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 in that context. Uh, challenging to some extent aspects of that work. Um, Megan Robson's also doing a beautiful project where she's looking at um, historical wills, um, wills that have been purchased of the colonial period and she's actually, she then paints and draws on them, turning them into, so she's sort of critiquing the sort of, um, the ownership models, title, that sort of um, that, that sort of material, but also there's like a major new commission of Lee Darrick looking at the 38 language groups of of Victoria, and that's sort of an arrival piece, and a beautiful work which we collected from the show Who's Afraid of Public Space at Acker um, by Andy Caroline uh, Briggs and Sarah Lynn Rees, which is called Gathering Space, which will be a place at the very beginning of the show to sort of for people to gather and think about designing on country, designing with country, um, and just sort of um, that, that um, you know, being on, tradi- on traditional lands. There's so much uh, to look forward to in Melbourne now 2023. Uh, it is happening from the 24th of March until the 20th of August. Now, is it just at uh, NGV Australia at Federation Square, the in Potter Centre this year? Because the previous Melbourne now extended across both kind of NGV sites. It did, indeed. Um, where we've, we've <laughs> no, it's the one. The one building is quite a lot, actually. Uh, I mean, we've got 200 artists in there uh, or something. Um, and we'll be running the, you know, over summer, the summer program, and then 
we've got major shows at, at international exhibitions at NGV International. But we will have the next Architecture Commission um, in the Garden, um, which is by um, Adam Newman and um, Kelvin Sang, who are Brunswick-based architects, and that will open in a few weeks and will run right through. So we'll, we'll, they'll be connecting the dots across, of course, and there's still um, Australian artists being presented at, at NGV International. Melbourne now, as I said, on display from the 24th of March to the 20th of August 2023. Uh, Entry is free or will be once the doors open. Uh, And for more info, just go to ngv.melbourne. Ewan, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.